Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Coming up, we will take a look at President Xi Jinping's state visit to South Africa. Central America's parliament expels Taiwan, making the Chinese mainland a permanent observer. Former Prime Minister Takshin Shanawa returns to Thailand after 15 years of self-imposed exile, and the city of Paris is now facing a headache over water pollution in preparing for the next year's Summer Olympics. So, if you want to listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching "World Today." Chinese President Xi Jinping says he is willing to work with his South African counterpart Cyril Ramaphosa to upgrade the bilateral relations to a new level. The Chinese president made a comment in a Tuesday meeting with Ramaphosa in Pretoria, describing the China-South Africa relations over the past one decade as vigorous. Xi Jinping has called on the two sides to inherit past friendship. Deepen cooperation and strengthen coordination in a new era. Xi Jinping is in South Africa to pay a state visit to the country and to attend a BRICS summit. Now, for more on the state visit, joining us now on the line is Dr. Dick B. Ren, Special Senior Advisor of International Relations Institute with Royal Academy of Cambodia. He's a longtime observer of Chinese politics and international relations. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, hi, Ding Hang. It's very nice to、uh, to be with you and your audience again. So, first of all, in a media article published in South Africa, President Xi Jinping says the bilateral relations、uh, have entered a golden period or a golden era, and it is this relationship between the two countries is increasingly generating a global influence.、Um, what do you make of these comments by President Xi? Well, I, I think that general outline is true.、Uh, there's been so much press about the BRICS meeting that he's going there for,、uh, and that 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 it's going to have、uh, a new membership. A large number of countries have applied to join that, and so that shows that that basic grouping of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa is very, very important. And、uh, Xi Jinping speaks about that in his speech. Um, but I think there's a couple of important elements there、uh, that relate to the fact that they've already had this long-term relationship since at least the the early 2000s,、um, and that South Africa is an important partner for all of Africa. You know, having having that that's a very large economy in Africa,、uh, and so that's very very important. And I think the other thing that was important that looking forward was the leapfrog idea, where、uh, South Africa can use、uh, China's strengths. To leapfrog in terms of technology and economy and security.、Hmm. So China is currently South Africa's biggest trading partner, and China is also a major source of foreign direct investment into South Africa.、Uh, there is、um, a good. Uh, cooperation between the two countries in the realm of infrastructure construction,、uh, energy supply, agricultural,、um, healthcare, etc., etc. So, how,、um, in your understanding, what do you think are the areas where the two sides could、um, further to further seek cooperation? Well,、um, both have strengths, of course, and、uh, South Africa is famous for for mining, for diamonds, and for gold, but for much more. It's got wonderful uh, uh, agricultural products, wine and fruits、uh, and grains,、uh, and China always has demand for those.、Uh, but also,、uh, very specifically, in the、uh, energy sector, where you know China is、uh, the world's leader in renewable energies, and that can be very, very useful to South Africa. South Africa has a lot of water problems, and、uh, I think China's history. With water is also going to be very useful,、um, and then just thinking about mining, I'm just thinking immediately about the fact that companies like Huawei have specialised、uh, technology for mining for safety, and that's been a, a problem in South Africa, mine safety.、Uh, but also, there's 
is, I think, um, automobiles, you know, electric vehicles, electric mobility, that's something that's going to be really useful. South Africa has got uh, capacity to build automobiles, um, but it does not have the capacity to build electric vehicles. So I think that's going to be something uh, that can be done. Uh, And then, of course, uh, investment is going to continue uh, and and infrastructure as well. Uh, South Africa needs to be better connected to the rest of Africa and um, China can definitely help with that. So if they can if they can work together like that, I think that that's that's going to be very very positive going forward. Hmm. On another note, um, currently there seems to be a trade imbalance between the two sides. Last year, for instance, uh, South Africa run a trade deficit with China was around ten point nine billion U.S. dollars. Uh, do you think this uh, this is one issue that needs to be addressed? Yes, well, it's always good to get, uh, you know, as best balance as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, going forward, I think that, you know, South Africa's economy still needs uh, uh, sort of upgrading uh, to allow to allow it to increase its exports. Um, and so going forward, that's going to be something that's always in, in, in the front of mind. But look, it's, it's not a huge imbalance, and I think it can be addressed uh, uh, in the short term through agricultural products, uh, but in the longer term through just some upgrading like what we talked about with uh, with automobiles and other things like that. I think that, that, that they can get a closer balance over, say, the three to five years. Mm, I, I guess that's exactly why uh, Chinese corporations, Chinese investors, many of them are operating in South Africa to help with the industrial upgrade, like this, uh, some of the Chinese auto brands even, like you mentioned. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so we often um, hear a saying, a narrative that China and South Africa are are major emerging economies. Therefore, the two sides out to work together to guard the broader interests of the, say, emerging markets and the broader global south. Um, so, in the world today, Digby, uh, what do you think are the aspects where there is a kind of uh, alignment alignment of China and South Africa's um, uh, national interests? Well, first and foremost, the, you know, Xi Jinping's there for the BRICS summit. So I think that's very important. And, you know, obviously that includes Brazil and India and Russia. Uh, and, and look, there's some other big players coming in. We know that uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Angola, uh, Indonesia and other large economies uh, are all seeking to join BRICS. Um, there's talk about how to run a BRICS currency or so at least some kind of um, uh, exchange mechanism uh, backed on commodities instead of the U.S. dollar. Look, that's going forward. That's going to be very important. Uh, and I think there's going to be some news in this meeting about that. Uh, whether, you know, wh- how big it will be, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but look, that's that alignment is very, very important. But then just generally also the alignment uh, related to Africa. There's been a lot of trouble in the north of Africa lately. Um, and, uh, you know, South Africa is important in that. And uh, the BRICS formula and also just the in the UN and other multilateral forums and developing economies generally um, need to operate together. And I think that's been the message from China and from Russia and from India, in fact. Um, and so going forward, that's going to be a very, very important f- foundation for the relationship. Hmm. So, of course, I mean, China or the Chinese government is a diehard supporter of this particular idea that each country deserves a deserves to have a development path that is in accordance with its own national conditions. Uh, President Xi Jinping made this point pretty uh, pretty clear in his latest published article over there in South Africa. So, do you think um, China and South Africa are like-minded partners in this particular regard? Do you think? The two countries can offer each other any inspiration in terms of, you know, those governance issues. Oh, certainly. Um, I mean, that's that's been a, a key platform for for China 
specifically for a long time now. And, um, and that's been proven, for example, in the Belt and Road, where, you know, every single member of the Belt and Road, um, you know, has to adapt and adopt uh, to its own circumstances. And China has been very flexible in this way, and it's improved its, uh, its approach enormously over the last 10 years. Um, slowly but surely, you know, it's not perfect. It's nothing's ever perfect at the beginning, but uh, it's it's uh, improving enormously. And and now there's a real concentration on, if you like, uh, on smaller, uh, not really super large infrastructure deals, but smaller, greener, um, that are that are more sustainable. This this is a really key thing, um, and and I believe that South Africa has a very special sort of arrangement inside. Africa itself a special understanding and that that's going to be very key to China working with South Africa, but not just China, the other BRICS members and other developing economies. So, for example, Indonesia or or uh, Argentina or something like that. So uh, going forward, um, you know, that they, they're like-minded. I think that's true. Um, but at the same time, one has to remember that uh, the politics in South Africa are not the same as anywhere else. Uh, yeah. And so there's the, the, the vagaries of that, the difficulties associated with that. So, you know, China always has to keep, uh, you know, be uh, patient as it always is and be flexible. Mm, flexible. And I guess uh, in the bigger picture, there are some gen, uh, generic or general principles uh, on which uh, both Beijing and Pretoria would agree upon. So in the meantime, be in your observation, how do you think South Africa will manage its ties with the West at a time when it is uh, seeking closer ties with um, China? Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, because um, South Africa has largely taken a pretty neutral position in terms of this uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict, there has already been some frictions between Pretoria and Washington. Well, clearly Washington's going to try and uh, have as much friction as it can anywhere uh, to gain support for its position and NATO's position. But I think that, um, you know, India really set the mark here because, mm. um, you know, they, they resisted, even though they are getting closer to the Americans in some ways, um, they set themselves as being completely independent in terms of their foreign policy. And China, of course, has always done that. Uh, and so South Africa has got two big friends uh, that it's able to to uh, to inspire it for its own uh, independent foreign policy. I think that's really key. And we see uh, it's not just South Africa. I think we see a lot of countries now realizing that there's an alternative and that there's other big powers in the world that want an independent foreign policy and don't want to get dragged in um, to what is essentially a, a, a small European American clique uh, trying to run global politics. Um, so look, South Africa is is going to have to uh, struggle a little bit to to fight that kind of European and American influence um, because it's it's still you know it's like all the you know post colonial right it's a it's a colony and it was exploited for a very long time so it's still very difficult but. Um, I think going forward, the relationship with China is going to strengthen its ability to be independent. And that same is true for the BRICS and the same is true within Africa uh, uh, itself. So, yeah, look, there's going to be some friction. There's, it's almost impossible to get away from that. Okay. Thank you, as always. That was Dr. Dick B. Wren, Special Senior Advisor of the International Relations Institute with the Royal Academy of Cambodia. Thank you very much for joining us. You're listening to World Today. Stay tuned. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. The Central American Parliament has voted to expel Taiwan as a permanent observer, replacing it with the Chinese mainland. A statement by the Parliament is citing the UN's 1971 expulsion of Taiwan in favor of the Chinese mainland, saying that deemed Taiwan to be a province of China. 
Six nations are involved in the operations of this parliament, including Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, Panama, the Dominican Republic, as well as Guatemala. Guatemala, for your information, is the only member country that is yet to establish diplomatic ties with Beijing. So, joining us now on the line is Dr. Liu Kuangyu from the Institute of Taiwan Studies, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Thank you very much for joining us. So, first of all, can you tell us about this、uh, Central American Parliament? What is the role of this institution in the region, and what does a permanent observer do? The PARSAN is the regional and permanent organ of the political and democratic representation of the system of、uh, Central American integration, which is called CICA, with the main purpose to realize the Central American uh, integration. Uh, for example, like promoting the process of integration and leading the way to the greatest possible cooperation between Central American states, and promoting and proposing、uh, draft treaties and agreements, which will be. Uh, negotiated by Central American states and forming opinion of what the CICA proposes and so on. But we know that over the past 200 years, Central American countries have repeatedly integrated in the hope of creating a unified political body.、Uh, we know that early in the 16th century, the, the Central American region became a Spanish colony and have been looking for ways to work together ever since. And the Central American unity、uh, was formed, established、uh, in 1991, following a Opportunity for Central American integration in the early 20th century. In this context, we see that the Central American Congress、uh, has been established as a unified legislative body with six member states, and、uh, Taiwan has been、uh, has been given the so-called、uh, permanent membership, permanent observership in 1999. And we see that in the past, the Central American Parliament has given、uh, Taiwan as the so-called observer status, whose role is to assist Taiwan's Uh, so-called multilateral diplomacy with Central America, especially through the inter- interaction of congressional diplomacy、uh, to increase bilateral relations. And、mm-hmm. Taiwan does not have access to the United Nations. We know,、uh, and can only increase its visibility and participation through re- regional or sub-regional organizations, such as the Central American Parliament, for example.、Mm-hmm. And Taiwan has provided a lot of so-called technical assistance to this area in the past. So. It can be included in some of the Central American、uh, the CICA plan. Okay, thank you、uh, for putting that into perspective. Now, this vote was proposed by Nicaragua, and because of that, we understand、um, Taiwan or Taipei is、uh, pretty much unhappy about this country and its leader. So, in your observation, what has really prompted Nicaragua to propose this particular vote? And Gregor broke off the, the diplomatic relations with diplomatic relations with Taiwan a few years ago, and established diplomatic relations with China's mainland. And I think in this year's practice,、uh, this country has realized the importance of the One China principle and the importance of developing cooperative relations with China for the country and for the region.、Uh, the, the significance of it. We know that this country is the largest of the seven、uh, Central American countries, but it's relatively poor and backward, and has a Chronically depressed economy and is highly dependent on the United United States、uh, and so on,、uh, in the past, and it's been severely affected by natural disasters and repeatedly hit by such、uh, such like、uh, hurricanes and epidemic and so on.、Uh, so there is a huge potential for cooperation between China and Nicaragua in the areas of, for example, like epidemic cooperation, infrastructure. Uh, climate change, new energy, transportation, smart agriculture, and、uh, environmental protection, and so on. So、uh, that's why Nicaragua supports and is willing to sign cooperation documents on the、uh, Belt and Road Initiative with China and early、uh, a, a, a few months earlier. And the two sides recently announced a substantive con- completion of negotiations on the China and China Nicaragua free trade、uh, free trade agreement,、uh, setting a very good example for the political and economic cooperation between. Uh, Central America and China, and,、mm. that, and that's I, I think that is driving force、uh, behind、uh, Nicaragua's proposal. Okay, so、um, this vote has drawn the so-called、uh, condemnation from Taipei as well as two U.S. senators. 
Um, and in fact, a joint statement by these two U.S. senators says, "Quote: Since 1999, Taiwan has served as a strong partner in its role as a permanent observer, encouraging good governance and economic development." Unquote. Now, of course, I mean the statement、uh, we are talking about here is geopolitically motivated, but、um, frankly speaking. Do you think Taiwan has、uh, really been a force for good to Central America over the years? Well, Taiwan itself has been、uh, declaring that、uh, they, they've been investing and assisting the Central American for many years. But、uh, in my opinion, in past, during the past decades, Taiwan has long、uh, played an active role in the Central America. First, is to create a division in Central American region. On the question of whether to break diplomatic relations with Taiwan, the Central American countries have not yet reached a complete consensus.、Uh, the growing number of left-wing governments and right-wing forces that still support Taiwan are the underlying factors of this division and、uh, antagonism. Now, using Taiwan question as a bargaining chip,、uh, Central American countries' own、uh, integration process has thus also be,、uh, been delayed, and internal political antagonism and consumption. And thus increased. And second, it undermines、uh, the international rules and consensus of the One China principle. We know that Taiwan has been trying to maintain its influence、uh, in the Central America by investing resources in the so-called dollar diplomacy, by some、uh, petty favors or participation in the Central American banks,、uh, using Central America as a springboard for its、uh, international engagement and, and, and undermining the implementation of the One China principle. In this regard,、uh, the expulsion of Taiwan by the Parliament, by the Central American Parliament, is actually a correction. And second, and third, and acting as an agent of the United States in this area, we know that the U.S. regards Central America as a so-called backyard, and on the one hand, it wants to help Taiwan consolidate its dipl-、uh, diplomatic relations here, and on the other hand, it regards mobilizing Central and Central, including South American countries, to support Taiwan as a way to consolidate its backyard. Uh, it will even use Taiwan question and Taiwan's resources to serve uh, America's American、uh, American strategy goals in this region. And therefore, in fact, while seeking its own regional interest, Taiwan is also cooperating with colonial interest、uh, with the United States in this region.、Mm. So, by becoming a permanent observer within this、um, Central American Parliament. What do you think the Chinese mainland、uh, could end up bringing to the region、um, or to the parliament itself? Yes,、um, uh, concerning to the task or comp-、uh, competency of this parliament, well, I think China can do a lot of work. The first, China is a staunch,、uh, staunch supporter for Central American integration, which is the main goal of this parliament, and it's provided strong political support for it. China helps to promote integration of Central America and could build a. Peaceful, free, and, and democratic, and developing,、uh, and develop、uh, Central America. It hopes that the coordination of these microeconomic policies will be strengthened in this region, and differences resolved through、uh, consultation. Economic changes will be further、um, more active, and cooperation within this region as whole will be strengthened. Strengthening exchanges and interactions between the legislatures and the representative bodies of public opinion on both sides between China and this. A region and further promote the link between public opinion and identity on both sides. China can also share its historical experience on achieving integration and modernization. And in the past decade, China has made impressive achievements in economic and social developments by、uh, vigorously supporting global governance,、uh, actively promoting the construction of the multilateral trading system, and promoting economic globalization. For all countries in、uh, Central America, including Latin America and the Caribbean countries, especially those in Central America,、uh, rising uh, U.S. Uh, protectionism is pro-、uh, poses a ser- serious threat、uh, to economic growth and national development. So, I believe China's initiatives and cooperation programs offer viable options for trade diversification.、Uh, in particular, the Belt and Road Initiative is an international cooperation project with the. With infrastructure construction is one of the key content, which can provide a lot of opportunities for sustainable infrastructure infrastructure、uh, investment in this area, but also bring huge development opportunities,、uh, stimulate economic growth in Central America, and solve the difficulties of international trade and high quality infrastructure investment that they face in this region. 
Hmm. So we still have about one minute for our discussion with you today. Now, of course, attention from a bigger picture is now focused on Guatemala, namely the biggest economy and also the most populous country in Central America. And this country has just concluded its presidential election. So, do you expect this president-elect to diplomatically abandon Taiwan in the foreseeable future? Yes. Such a positive turn in Guatemala is uh, based on strong public opinion and, geopo- and geopolitical factors, which uh, that have been uh, referred to a lot. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, as a whole of Central America has collectively shifted towards the identification of one China principle, it is inevitable that Guatemala will have to follow this bold uh, political trend. However, uh, Guatemala is also facing enormous pressure from the U.S. and Taiwan's desperate political yeah. counterbalance. Mm, yes. Indeed,、uh, enormous pressure from both Washington and Taipei. That's for sure. But thank you very much. That was Dr. Liu Kuangyu joining us from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. You're listening to World Today. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Chinese Premier Li Qiang has stressed the importance of strengthening digital economy to bolster economic recovery and high-quality development. Li Qiang made Li Qiang said at a Monday State Council study session that China's digital economy enjoys broad space for development thanks to a massive market, abundant data resources, and rich application scenarios. He emphasized the importance of facilitating the deep integration of digital technology into the real economy. So, what role can the digital economy play in China's economic recovery, and what does this particular sector's growth say about China's economic policy? My colleague Zhao Yang had a talk with Ina Tangen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute. Well, first, why does China want to further push for the development of the digital economy? Okay, let's define the digital economy. It's the economic activity that results from billions of everyday online connections among people, businesses, devices, data, and processes. It's the fastest part, growing part of the economy, and it's key to many issues: efficiency, growth, wealth. And sustainability. By efficiency, I mean that by having these interconnections, you know what's going on and you can react more quickly. Growth, because of the、um, process of doing this, you can actually make more money、uh, by developing new products, services, or getting them to market more quickly. Wealth. Those who develop IP, which is connected with the digital economy, are going to be very, very wealthy, and that is going to continue for a long time in the future. And sustainability: there has to be a way in which、uh, the digital connections and wealth is shared. If, in fact, you're not going to have a very, very unequal world in the future. And China's digital economy grew fast in the past few years. The digital economy accounted for a very big proportion of the total GDP. So, how should we understand its significance of China's economic rebound, and what are the key factors that contribute to China's digital economy growing so fast? Well, the scale of China's digital economy is vast. It, it reached 50.2 trillion yuan, about 7.25 trillion U.S. dollars in 2022,、uh, accounting for 41.5 percent of、uh, China's GDP. I mean, it's a massive、uh, growing area, and as I was saying before, it. Interacts with all of those areas in terms of people's transactions, how you do business, logistics, etc. And China wants to facilitate the deep integration of the digital technologies into the real economy. So, what can be done on that? And which sectors have been, you know, flourishing during the boom in the digital economy? Well, obviously, online sales,、uh, digital sales over the internet, manufacturing,、uh, the, by re- reducing the amount of time、uh, that you have to order、uh, goods and、uh, resources in advance, and getting them out to markets, and knowing exactly. 
who's going to buy and at kind of what levels you increase efficiency, which goes to, to profits, etc. Logistics, physically getting there, knowing uh, where things are and how you can get your product to where it needs to be delivered. And then uh, transactions. This is very important going into the future. If you think about how many contracts and lawyers and accountants and, and banks have to get involved in everyday transactions, especially internationally, if you can reduce that instead of taking days or weeks down to nanoseconds, uh, obviously that is going to have a very positive effect on uh, uh, development and uh, trade globally. Mm -hmm. So what kind of promising market trend can be identified for the digital economy in China in this and coming years? Well, for China, very, very important as wages rise and in the country wants wages to rise. They want more disposable income. What they need to do is be more efficient on the manufacturing end. China is a manufacturing powerhouse. Obviously, if it requires hand labor, it's probably going to go to other places, Vietnam, uh, etc., where they have less costly labor. But if with automation, if you can uh, keep you know, business here, manufacturing here, because you can design systems which require less labor, then it's very important. So to run those machines and uh, robots, etc., to keep them efficient, you have to use uh, this kind of digital uh, dashboards, as I like to call them, that give you all the information, all the inputs, all the outputs. It tells you who's buying, who you know, who's selling the materials you need, and who's buying the finished products you want to sell. Mm-hmm. So that is a huge area for China, and it's one where China is uh, right now leading the world. Mm. And China is moving very fast in launching the digital currency, the digital RMB. So what's the purpose of it and what's the incentive for customers to use it? Well, speed, cost, efficiency, and function. And by speed, I mean um, it took weeks to arrange a financing. Now you can do it in in, in literally uh, seconds. Um, Cost. Um, The cost of these transactions can be brought down because there's fewer middlemen, uh, fewer guarantors that are involved. It's all digital. Uh, Efficiency, obviously, it takes a lot less time to do that. And function. Uh, One of the issues for China is opening up its capital account market. But if you start looking at it, if you have a digital currency, what it does is it allows you to separate transactions, so legitimate transactions which are going to, uh, you know, purchase goods, materials, or being paid for uh, finished goods, those can quite clearly be seen. But those people who are just trying to transfer funds that are against the law, they can be taken also. Taxes can be taken out at point of transaction. So no more accountants trying to figure out your taxes, no no more uh, accounting departments. It all happens automatically. And there's a tally there so that you can check to make sure that everything is, in fact, correct. And what role will China's digital currency have on the way that the global trade and commerce are conducted? Well, I mean, if you start thinking some of the problems in the world today, the uh, the gross inequality that's out there, the hidden money, uh, once you have a digital uh, currency that's uh, being accepted, it's transparent. You know exactly where it came from and where it's going to. And if you can't explain it, well, it can't get into the system. So as a result, it promises to create a much more fair, even uh, system that is much more cost effective, uh, much better for business. And China will actively participate in the international cooperation on the digital economy. So what could be done on that, do you think? The most important uh, aspect is standards. Um, If you want to have a digital world, there has to be a way to go from one country to another country. And and that's the real difficulty here with the geopolitical situation the way it is. um, It is very difficult to come up with joint standards. And that is what is needed. I mean, it's like cell phones. You know, you you can take your cell phone from one country to another country and it still works. That's the same through uh, true with uh, the digital economy. You need to have that portability and therefore all these countries have to agree on minimum standards. Uh, there are, you know, obviously concerns out there, uh, but there has to be standards to begin with. Mm, and what's your understanding of the digital cooperation and cybersecurity in today's world? And how important is the global data security in your view? Well, it, it is very important. I mean, it's it's key to uh, understanding, um, you know, what people want. Uh, there are security aspects 
Obviously, you don't want criminals getting in there. With ChatGPT, we've seen that it's very important to start watermarking what is uh, factual information versus what is created information. Uh, by watermarking, what they do is they, they're literally going to put um, watermarks uh, things that you can discern that this is uh, created um, information as opposed to factual information. Very important just to the f sheer functioning of ChatGPT. So there are many, many issues um, that are coming forward. And, you know, people should be looking at these very carefully because these are opportunities. If you start looking uh, at what solutions are needed and you're able to come up with them, you're going to do very, very well. But there also has to be some... Um, you know, equality going forward. Uh, this is going to be one of the great wealth transfer uh, areas in the sense that those who have the digital um, IP are going to do very well long into the future, but those who don't won't. And unfortunately, a, a lot of company, countries around the world do not have that capability. I think China is a little bit unique in that they're going out and they're actively saying, we need to share, we need to develop these things together so that we have a much more equal base. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot more have and have-nots. Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow with the Taihe Institute, talking to my colleague Zhao Yang. This is World Today. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the independent Taihe Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up-to-date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Former Thai Prime Minister Thaksin Shanawa has returned to the country for the first time after more than 15 years in self-exile. Thaksin was Prime Minister from 2001 until he was ousted in a military coup in 2006 when he was in New York City attending a UN meeting. He returned to Thailand briefly before fleeing the country in 2008 over a corruption conviction. He was sentenced to eight years in prison upon his arrival on Tuesday. It is unclear at this point whether he will serve that time. Chakshin's return is coinciding with a parliamentary vote that has broken month of political deadlock by picking a candidate from his Thai party as a new prime minister. This choice is ending almost a decade of military leadership in the country and follows a May election won by the progressive Move Forward Party. So joining us now on the line is Professor Song Qingren from the School of Asian Studies, Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, hello. So uh, let's begin by talking about this um, political deadlock in Thailand that has just been broken. Uh, the Takshin-backed uh, Thai party came second in the May election, actually. But on Monday this week, the party struck a deal with its uh, with its uh, previous military rivals in a bid to secure enough parliamentary votes in order to form a government. So, what do you make of this latest development? Uh, the political dialogue in Thailand has just uh, been broken on the afternoon of August thirty second. Second, the Thai party's Trista, uh Tavisin has become Thailand's new prime minister after uh, clinching parliamentary support in a Tuesday's uh, vote. The breaking of this uh, political dialogue is indeed uh, related to the political deal between, between the Thai party and the, its previous military rivals, as well as uh, the formation of a ruling alliance between the Thai party and other several political parties. Uh, that supports the military. Uh, so the Puerto Party will lead a ruling coalition consisting of 11 political parties. Uh, therefore, uh, then a new government, new government will be formed. And then the power transfer between the new and the old governments will be achieved maybe in September. Mm. So 
uh, with that in mind, how would you、um, how would you look at the possible future of the Move Forward Party,、uh, which we know won the most votes in the May election? And by the way, how would you evaluate the potentials for say? Uh, street protests,、uh, street demonstrations by the party's、uh, very young support base. The Move Forward Party、uh, now is facing a a big failure.、Uh, this party,、uh, due to its lack of respect for the Thai royal family, did not receive the support of other political parties and、uh, was unable to successfully、uh, form a governing coalition、uh, in Thailand. The leader of the Move Forward Party, Pita, was also unable to be elected as prime minister during、uh, uh, last, last month. No, no. So, and the Move Forward Party was unable to govern the new, the uh, to govern. So, as the pr- new prime minister、uh, now comes from the Pritag Party, the Pritag Party will be the key political party to lead the new government in the future. The Move Forward Party has now became become. Uh, political opponents with political parties such as the Pyotai Party、uh, will lead the government.、Uh, prior to this,、uh, today's prime minister's election,、uh, some supporters of the Move Forward Party、uh, had already held street protests against the Pyotai Party.、Uh, so, in the future, after the new government of multiple political parties take office, the Move Forward Party is highly likely to continue to launch joint protests, such as sometimes on a large scale and exert will exert pressure on the new government. Moreover, the more forward government,、uh, the more forward party is the party with the highest number of seats in the house or、uh, in the lower house, and、uh, as an oppo- opposition party in the future,、uh, the more forward party will also engage in. Struggles in the parliament and exert pressure on the new government.、Mm. It can be expected that the move forward party and its large number of young supporters will pose significant political pressure on the new government. Of course, the political struggle of the move forward party will bring unstable factors to Thailand's political and society in the future. Mm. So, can you tell us more about Takshin, especially the kind of、um, political forces he represented when he was governing as the prime minister? For example,、um, as far as I know, he was known at the time as a populist. Yeah,、uh, Takshin Chinawa、uh, used to be a millionaire in Thailand, and later he participated in the politics. He served as Thailand's prime minister for more than. Uh, five and a half years since February 2001, he had a significant influence in the political, social, and economic fields of Thailand, and had many supporters, especially from a large number of farmers in the north and northeast Thailand, as well as some grassroots groups,、uh, citizens in the city. During his tenure as prime minister, Thaksin carried out a series. Reforms in the political, economic, and social fields, and the Thai economy. Also developed rapidly at that time. During his tenure as prime minister, the government also adopted many policies that benefited ordinary people, increasing their income and improving their lives. This enabled many people who could not afford to see illness to go to hospitals for treatment. And many people also thanked Thaksin、uh, for a long time. However, during his tenure, Thaksin also offended some interest groups and individuals. So in in 2006,、mm-hmm. a large number of opposition figures held a long-term protest and demonstration in Bangkok. On、uh, September 19, uh, 2006, Thaksin was overthrown and later exiled abroad. However, Thaksin has long had a strong influence in Thai politics, and he still has a large number of supporters until now. In the future, Thaksin will still have significant influence in Thailand politics and society. Mm. So one observation about the timing of Takshin's return to Thailand、uh, right now is that、uh, he is no longer seen by the、uh, military or political establishment as a threat politically. What is your thought about this, Professor? And would you agree in this point that uh, uh, Thailand's politics today 
are no longer about Takshin populism. Briefly,、uh, Thailand has a very significant impact on the Pro-Thai、uh, Party, and now the Pro-Thai Party has reached an agreement with ten other political parties to form a governing alliance. Among these political parties that cooperate with the Pro-Thai Party,、uh, there are some parties from、uh, rep- represents the political establishment interest. So I think now Thaksin, the Pro-Thai Party, and the Uh, establishment has reached uh, some agreement and cooperation, so the conflicts between them are no longer as sharp as before. So I think uh, uh, in the future, Pakistan、uh, mm. still will have some political influence. It will not not to、uh, disappear.、Mm. Thank you very much for your analysis. That was Professor Song Qingren from the School of Asian Studies, Beijing Foreign Studies University. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back. Organizers of the Paris Olympics have vowed to redouble efforts to clean up the Seine River after a few recent test events were canceled due to pollution. Organizers say water quality tests showed significant discrepancies, including higher than acceptable levels of E. coli bacteria. The news came as a new setback to the city's ambition to reopen the Seine River to host two long-distance races. As well as the swimming legs of the triathlon for the Summer Olympics to be held next year. And for your information, swimming was banned in the river in the year 1923 due to pollution. In 2018, Paris embarked on a 1.4 billion euro cleanup and infrastructure upgrade program in a bid to bring swimming back to the river. So joining us now on the line is Dong Jun, founder of EverSports. Thank you very much for joining us.、Mm, thank you. So, when we talk about sporting events like、uh, triathlon, how much does water quality matter? Well, of course, very, very important. And even fundamental or essential, being it air quality or water quality or you know any physical or natural conditions, to ensure that you know very, very important for the safety, security, and health. At bottom lines for the participants of any sport in any event, not only Olympics, but World Aquatics Championship Series or even community meets activities among、uh, you know popularity, popular、uh, local people. That's of course very very important. But let us make sure that the、um, the, the temporary or the last minute decision to call off swimming. Among the three events, to make a so-called dual duathlon、uh, with running and cycling only was、uh, was made as a precautionary precautionary med,、uh, manner or decision because there was no evidence that it's already polluted、uh, as serious as E. coli bacterium. But、uh, what happened a few weeks bef- before Paris? The test events for the Olympics was that in Sunderland of England at、uh, at Roker Pier a few、mm. weeks ago、uh, for another World Triathlon Championship Series, as many as fifty seven athletes reported health issues, falling ill after swimming in in that part of the water in England. So. World Triathlon, the governing body of this Ironman sport, was very, very cautious. So they decided to deal with a discrepancy in data provided by different organizations regarding the quality of the water at the Seine. Was made by this organization to make sure things were not to be too bad. But we are still waiting for further results. From further investigations into the fact,、mm. so as we can see,、uh, the city of Paris is investing a lot of money into this、um, cleanup and infrastructure upgrade program to deal with the pollution in the Seine River. So when we talk about this、uh, particular challenge, not necessarily a challenge, but this particular issue faced by Paris, do you think? 
it is somehow pointing to a bigger issue regarding this、um, cost versus benefit for any for any particular you know Olympic host country nowadays. Yeah,、uh, I think Chinese people, especially people in Beijing, are by no means unfamiliar with preparation、yeah. of the Olympic Games. I think now with less than a year to go. Uh, be- before Paris 2024, I think we need a lot of test events. Test events are very essential, including those held in Paris over the last weekend.、Um, that's what test events are about. We need to use such events to find out rooms where we need to improve, and、uh, it's good to find out prob to find problems. And even after such. Uh, late cancellations of certain swimming events in the water, in the open water, the World Triathlon governing body still declare that they are very positive and confident for Paris to be ready,、uh, not only for、uh, next year but even now to see significant improvement when it comes to the financial issues.、Uh, we need to be clear that the general,、uh, you know, momentum for the Olympic movement. Was not to separate hosting, spending a lot of money hosting the event by spending, you know, all the costs on the event only. But people are trying to combine the Olympic Games with the benefits that such investment will bring to local communities. They need to come together. I think France has a, Paris has a great idea. Of trying to leave a legacy of Paris 2024 to the local Paris communities for them to benefit from the cleanup project,、uh, you know,、uh, mm. promoted by the、uh, by the Olympic Games. I think this、uh, this is a long term project that will pay off after the games, well, as a legacy to as a benefit for the local community. I think、uh, you know, people of various parties have already expressed the confidence because a reservoir, a major reservoir, is being built, constructed, and will be ready next year. And the recent issues has been largely caused by、uh, overflooding and, and rainfall、uh, over last over the last few weeks,、uh, which is an issue for many other parts of the world. So.、Mm-hmm. Sporting events in other continents and other countries should also be watching very closely about the quality and safety of swimming in those waters.、Mm. So, very, very briefly, like thirty、uh, seconds for our final question. I mean, why attempting to bring swimming back to the Seine River rather than investing the you know the resources that are needed in this、um, process into building more, say? Uh, man-made swimming facilities. I, I think the Olympic movement and also, you know, countries and governments and also public authorities are trying to explore together to see if sporting event can help combine the two challenging issues together and see if we can find a more environmentally friendly way to host sporting events,、mm-hmm. help to raise. Uh, people's awareness of the environment. Then, it's we、yeah. shouldn't separate indoor swimming with open water swimming anymore. Yeah, thank you. As always, that was、uh, Dong Jing, founder of EverSports. Unfortunately, that's all the time for this edition of World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Bye for now.